0: Can I just say, it is awesome to be back at Dominion on a Sunday morning. Come on. I love you. I honor you. You guys truly are the most incredible church ever. Um, Just so thankful for what God is doing here. I can tell you in my time and season of sabbatical that God really stirred my heart for an appreciation even more of what he's doing here. And so, you know, I think sometimes we can take for granted what God's doing And sometimes we don't appreciate what we have. It's true that, indeed, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Sometimes God will remove you away from something to make you appreciate it that much more. And so I'm just so thankful. I'm thankful to have ministry leadership. Can we give it up for our pastors that led over this? Come on. All of our pastors and teachers that led. And, you know, a lot of times people ask me, and I sorry, this ain't my message. Give me a second. I just want to share my heart. A lot of times people ask me, well, what's apostolic ministry mean, blah, blah, blah. You know, really, the truth of it is the mission of being an apostolic ministry is just really healthy church. We don't believe in a one-man show mentality. We don't believe that, that we do believe in one, one man, and his name is Jesus. And that is the only one that we want to build the movement and the ministry around is him. And so, anyways, in the idea of this, Ephesians four eleven says that Christ gave these gifts to his church. And we see apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. And so what you saw in this season, you don't know how many times I heard after coming back, man, I'll tell you what, you've got an incredible team around you. And this morning, I say yes and amen. Come on, give it up one more time for them. So to all the pastors and teachers that led during this season, I just honor you. And appreciate you. I'm so thankful. I want you to do something this morning. We're getting ready to start a series that's really been birthed from my season of sabbatical. Everyone get out your phones. Get them out. Get them out. Get out your phones. Person you're sitting next to, I want you to take it, per- turn it on the camera. Facing towards you. We're going to do something. Some of y'all will be like, I ain't never done this before in my life. It's called a selfie. Everyone that's behind me say, cheese. Y'all, y'all ain't even behind me. Take your phone out, though. I want you to take a selfie. Take a selfie. Everyone take a selfie. Because I'm coming back to you with a new series that I will be in. And I'll be honest with you, I have no timeline on this series. I want you to take a selfie, and I want you to check in at Dominion Church, post it on your social media, because I'm not ashamed of what God's doing here. Yeah, I go to Dominion Church. I want people to know what God is doing here. Amen. So take a picture and post it on your social media. It's the only time I want you on social media uh, while we are in service the next few minutes. But um, I want you to—I want you to turn to that person you just took a selfie with and ask them this. You ready? Tap them. Tap him on the shoulder and ask him this question. Say, "Have you lost your mind?" Did you notice though something incredible? Um, as we as we embark on this journey over the next couple of weeks, can y'all put up a slide, please? As we embark on this journey over the next couple of weeks, and we go into the idea of this series of selfie, you know, I love this right here because you can see that's all a bunch of Dominionite smiling faces on there. And so, I, I honestly, I cried uh, when I got with the media team on making that slide because it's just, man, it's just it's so powerful to me. All the people that truly make this church so great, amen. And so, um. The idea of it, though, in this series that I really want us to understand is, did you notice, though, like when you took a selfie, nobody took a selfie of their legs? And see, I think we love selfies because we get to choose what people see. And I want to go a little further to say that there is a literal term in taking selfies that has been tagged with selfies that is called manipulating angles. And it's proven statistically and scientifically that when people take selfies, they will take them from the posture of which they believe they are best seen. See, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't never take a selfie like this, right? Because I got this big mole on the back of my head that I'm self-conscious of. Don't worry, I, I'm 37 now. It don't bother me anymore. Matter of fact, my kids, they'll lay on the couch and flick it and call it moly. So like I've had to learn to get over my insecurities. But, but the truth of it is, is like I never take selfies from the angle that I don't want people to see me. And, and there's a literal term called manipulating angles. And I want you to know that I believe that nobody's better than manipulating the angles than the church. Oh, y'all know some of you were cussing and fussing on the way here, <laughs> arguing over what you were listening to or why you didn't feed the kids or I can't believe you didn't take out the trash. You were fussing, cussing. If you was cussing, you need to get a little bit more sanctified and you was arguing, but hear me, you came in on a manipulative angle, like you literally cussed to the front door and then all of a sudden you saw Miss machine and you were like, cheese. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. How are you, brother? Oh, blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Glory to God. And see, what you did is you put on a manipulative angle. Because you didn't want people to see the real you. And I believe a lot of times in the church what what we're guilty of is manipulative angles and how that term is so true that it's manipulative. It portrays one way only to come around a different way. Listen to me. I don't want to be so concerned about how people perceive me and not be worried about how God sees me. See, over the next couple weeks, I want to destroy the obsession that we have with how people perceive us and I want to get concerned and convicted about the way that God sees us. See, in, in my season of, of sabbatical and rest, there's one thing I realized. That I was really good at telling people I was good when I was no good at all. Oh, you didn't know this ministry is very transparent. Because this is what I know. I can't manipulate you by you seeing something and being something different because by doing that, I'm setting a false hope for you. When you look and you think that everybody around you has got their life perfect and you come in here knowing you ain't perfect, you'll leave here and the enemy will be telling you that there's no hope for you. They say, oh, look at that guy up there. You know, yeah, he's got a mole on the back of his head. But, I mean, he, you know, he's got he's got a lot going on, ministry growing, beautiful family. Yeah. And have wrestled the spirit of divorce multiple times. Have contemplated suicide in ministry. Come on, let's be real. I'm telling you that it is real. It is raw. That nobody is perfect. But there is one that is perfect. His name is Jesus. And when we put our trust in him and we take on his image. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. See, I want us to get more obsessed about the way God sees us. I'm sick and God's sick of manipulative angles in his church. We dress everything up. We act like we're all right. We act like we're all good. And the truth is, is you ain't no good at all. We say we're good, but then we're struggling with sins and rolling around in pornography and committing idolatry and, and, and we're lying, stealing, cheating. And then we come in here and then some of us wonder where the Spirit of God is. He's here, but you're distant from Him because there's things in your life that He's saying, I need corrected. Okay, okay, okay. 1 Thessalonians five We're going to jump into this. Listen. I want you to understand my, my heart in this series is I'm going to try to do a lot of teaching. I, I don't want to preach. I really don't because I need you to get this. I don't want you to hear at the at the volume of what I say rather than the validity of what I'm saying. And so I'm going to try to be very intentional. I get really excited and, and I get hyper sometimes. Excuse me. If I spit on you, just rub it in. It's anointed. But... 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Woo. It's a term we don't hear about much in church anymore, but sanctification. It's a real thing. And may your whole spirit, watch this. I love that he says whole, not H-O-L-E. A lot of us got an H-O-L-E spirit and he says may your whole spirit not just not just healed but whole complete not lacking anything may your whole spirit whole soul and whole body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ now I want you to jump with me to Matthew 23 and 37 I'm going to share another scripture with you and this is as those that are asking Jesus what's the greatest of the commandments and Jesus responds in Matthew 22 37 and Jesus said to him he said you shall love the Lord Your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Father, we thank you today for the gathering of your word. And God, as we gather around it, we know that indeed your word is a light. It is a lamp, God. It reveals, God. It draws. It heals. It exposes. It corrects. It convicts. And God, it makes whole. Father, we thank you today that as we gather around your word, we gather around you, Jesus. God, we ask, Lord, that you would indeed speak to hearts and minds, God, that are here today. God, I declare right now every deaf ear in the spirit open in the name of Jesus. Every heart that is hard be inside often now by the spirit of christ and that our hearts would be good soil to receive and yield the seed of the spirit and the word of the spirit that we may declare the fruits and the gifts of the spirit god in health and in wholeness in jesus mighty name and the church said amen Amen. Amen. so to truly see ourselves, we we have to understand that we are made with more than just one part um you know the truth of it is is the problem is with a selfie is we get to only show ourselves one dimensional We only allow, really, people to see the one side of us. We're saying, look at me. You know, look how pretty my smile is. Look how nice my eyes is. Look at this new dress I got. Look at this new shirt I got. And we're showing our lives through a one-dimensional film. But, see, I think what happens is we end up selling ourselves out inferior to what God has truly called us to do. And I think we begin to live our lives through a one-dimensional lens. And we get so consumed with what everyone thinks about us that, in the meantime, we are depreciating and depleting. We are Discouraged, and we've got people that say they've got the, the blood of Christ, that got the spirit of Christ, but they're walking defeated. And see, th- here's what we find out, though, is the Bible tells us that our lives are not one-dimensional. Matter of fact, it tells us something completely opposite. Genesis 1 and 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, and according to our likeliness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, And over all the earth and everything that creeps and everything that's on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. I want you to catch that. So you were created in the image of God. Everybody got that? Now watch. When God said that he created you in his image, too often we just think of a natural sense. Does God have hair? Yes. Does God have eyes? Yes. Does God have nostrils? Yes. Does he have a mouth? Yes. And scripture shows these things over and over again. But here's the problem. That is looking at God only through a one-dimensional sense when God created us who is multi-dimensional to be multi-dimensional. Watch. I'm going deep this morning. So y'all better get ready. If y'all are a bunch of milk suckers, hold on because you're going to gag this morning, okay? So God's image is multi-dimensional. Watch this. He's God the Father. He's God the Son, and he's God the Spirit. We call this the Trinity. So when God said, let us create man in our image, he understood that man had to at least be three-dimensional. Woo! Watch, I'm going to help you. So if God is I- I at least three-dimensional, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, when God said, let us, here's a, here's a, here's a challenging thing, you know, like I say, you've got to really read your Bible. When God said, let us, who was he talking to? You ever, you ever read that in Genesis when God said, let us, if God was in the beginning and in the beginning was God, then who was God talking to? He was talking to Jesus who was there. He was talking to the spirit who was there. He said, let us create man in our image. So God who is multidimensional says, let us make man in our image. Woo. See that? He didn't say, let us make man just in my image or your image or your image. He said, let us make man in our image. So God created them in the image of God. God created them. Multidimensional. So we find that man is at least three-dimensional. And we find, watch, the statement in 1 Thessalonians 5, pull that back up. He says, may your whole spirit, your whole soul, And your whole body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we find that in the image of God, we are three-dimensional. We are are three-dimensional. What are we? We are mind, body, and spirit. Now I'm going to come. If you Pentecostal in this room, God bless you. I'm fire baptized, Holy Ghost filled. Yeah, glory to God. But I don't fall under Pentecostalism. I fall under the word of God, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. But let me tell you something. A lot of things that have been airing in the Pentecostal churches, all we have done is focused on spirit. I told you I was teaching this morning. And what we've got is we've got a lot of spirit-filled believers, but in their mind... That has not been renewed by the word. See, Jesus said the day is coming and now is when the true worshipers will arise and they will worship me in spirit and in truth. John 17, 17 said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. The greatest revival that the church is yet to see is not just a bunch of huck and bucking, spiritual tongue talking, but it's those that can quote scripture, those that can walk scripture, those that can live scripture. And when we see the word and the spirit come together the church will see the greatest move of God that we've ever seen we talk in tongues but we don't know how to talk to one another oh you praying talking in tongues and cussing out your kids 10 minutes later I'm not saying that your baptism ain't real what I am saying is bro there's a level of sanctification that only comes by the word And so when we begin to look at our our self-examination, our true selfies, you know, that's one of the things that we got to wrestle through is, God, I don't just want to be one-dimensional. I don't want to be all spirit and no truth. I don't want to be all body. You know, what good is it if you put this body in shape, but your spiritual man is dying and going to hell? So we find that God creates man, mind, body, and spirit. You know, I, I think that one of the greatest errors of the church is this, that we have looked at mental health like it is a weakness. I don't care. They can blast me. They say, oh, he's turned into one of those pastors. Why don't just talk about you new you, better you. No, but this is what I do understand, that I'm no good for you if I ain't no good for myself. And see, the truth is, is what we have to come to a realization is, yeah, uh, my spirit needs to be renewed, and yeah, I need to take care of my body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. But there's another faucet. There is something that the church has neglected, and it is the mindset of people. It is the mind of men. It is the mind of women. That as a man thinks, so is he. And so, what we got, my God, hear me. We got a bunch of tongue-talking people, but they don't know how to walk out Scripture. They don't know how to live in victory. They sing songs about victory, but walk in defeat. So watch. Watch this three-dimensional faucet. If you if take a notes, write this down. So the mind is the head, right? Watch, I'm going to show you something incredible. But the body is the flesh. But the soul is the spirit. Head body, spirit. Watch. The problem with selfies is we only allow people to see the one dimension of our lives and the side that we let them see is the fakest part. But Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 that we would love the Lord with all of our hearts and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. God created us three-dimensional. Head, body, Soul, spirit, mind, body, spirit, watch. God is the head. Jesus is the? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when the word was among us, he released the? Okay. So what we find now that God is three-dimensional, creating us into three-dimensional beings, but we are focused on the fakest part. We are focused on the part that everyone sees. And God's saying, listen to me, he rebukes a lot of us like he did the religious leaders of his day. He said, you're like a a whitewashed tomb. You look real good on the outside, but your insides full of dead man's bones. Listen to me. I don't want bones in here. I want breath. I want the blood. I want the spirit living, moving, and flowing freely through me. But if we never stop to take care of ourselves, if we allow the demand of life to deplete us, what we have is people that look good on the outside, but inwardly their bones are full of rot. They don't know what it is to laugh. They ain't laughed in years. Trauma and pain has left them depressed, discouraged, beat up on the side of the road, much like that of the man that was on his way to Jericho. And so what we find in the midst of this is, is that God's saying, Listen, you gotta love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. We find out that this love relationship is multidimensional. This is where religion got it wrong. Because religion began to address the way that you love God by the way that you dress. This is why Dominion Church, I don't care, wear shorts, wear flip flop, wear hat, be tattooed from your head to your toes. It don't bother me, bro, because I'm worried about what's going on on the inside. I met, a, I met a many a men that wore suits but beat their wives. i met a many a man that had more tattoos than the tattoo parlor itself, but they were the best husbands and best daddies I've ever met. God is not as near concerned about what's going on on the outside as we are. How many of you were maybe raised in the same kind of home that I was or you got some of the same kind of friends that I do, you did something stupid and somebody looked at you, you said, have you lost your mind? My mama said that to me a couple of times. Or you got, if you got one of those real mamas, they say it this way. Have you lost your ever-loving mind? Ever-loving mind. I don't know what that means, but sure. The truth to that question is this. We have told you, if you're here to drink milk this morning, it's going to be a little deep for you, but the truth is we have lost our mind. I'm going to prove it to you scripturally. Genesis chapter three, verse one through five says, now the serpent who was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit. Of the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, And you will be like God, knowing, somebody say knowing, knowing. good and evil. There was two trees in the, in the garden of Eden. It was the tree of life, which God said, "Eat freely. Eat of eat of it as much as you need to." But then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was this tree that the serpent, more cunning than any other beast or or animal of its time, that slithers its way into the ear of Eve and begins to whisper to her and say, "Did God not say you can eat of it? And it, what do you mean that you won't certainly die? Let me tell you how you know the enemy is in your life. He will begin to con. He will begin to combat everything that God has begun." to tell you see where people get it wrong is they begin to forget what God said they begin to forget what God said and they begin to listen to the voice and the lies of the enemy and all of a sudden he talks them out of destiny so when man eats of the tree he doesn't just die he dies spiritually see uh, the, the the more the, the more uh, uh, horror side of the story is not that man would just die, but now man would die spiritually. A man that walked with God in the cool of the day would now be distant, separating, hiding, uh, sowing fig leaves together, and God would have to come and say, where are you? Who told you? You were naked. So there's two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Notice that it was the tree of knowledge that the enemy came to Eve And Adam with the tree of knowing, the tree of knowledge, mindset, mentality. See, the enemy knew that if he could get in their mind, whoo, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so is he. Can I tell you that what some of y'all's greatest battle is? It is the way you think. The way you think about yourself, the way that you think, the way that God thinks about you, the way that you think about your marriage, the way that you think about your children, the way that you think about your job, the way that you think about your husband, the way that you think about your finances. Hear me, hear me, hear me. The enemy does not come to attack your marriage. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna pull up a chair and we're just gonna teach this. Watch this. Let me tell you something called entry points. Let's talk about entry points really quick. The enemy never shows up in your life to attack your marriage. He never shows up in your life to attack your finances. He never shows up in your life to attack your children. But what I just told you is every one of those things are entry points in your life. He knows that if he hits your marriage, then he can get your mind. He knows if he hits your finances, then he can get in your mind. He knows if he hits your children, he can get in your mind. He's not as consumed or concerned about your marriage. He wants to get in your head. Because he knows that if he can get in your head, if he can get get you consumed about what you think about, That as a man thinks, so is he. People walking around talking, my marriage sucks. You doggone right it does. Because that's the way you think about it. That's the way that you, as a man thinks, so is he. You don't get to say what it's not after you've been thinking about everything that it is. That's a lie and contrary to God. See, since the beginning of time, the enemy has been concerned, not as much about your selfie as he has been about the way you think about yourself. I believe that one of the greatest wars that we face is the battle between our two ears. He knows that if he can get this, he knows that if he can take this captive, then he's got everything that's connected to it. It is the head. Everybody shout head first. How does a baby come out? head first everywhere you go why is the head here when you walk watch your head leans forward why because where the head goes the body's soon to follow as a man thinks so is he when you go and anything uh, that you do in your life you go into it head first I'm not talking naturally as much as i am in the concept of knowing Some of us are stuck. Why are we stuck? Because the enemy hit an area of our life and it hit us in our mind and we were paralyzed. And what happened is trauma began to paralyze us where we could not move forward. And some of you been fighting this thing for five years and calling it the devil. You ain't fighting the devil, bro. You're fighting your thoughts. See, the problem with the war of the mind Though it's is the battle that never seems to be televised. As I was studying over this, you know, honestly, it's like the war in Ukraine. What happened? Right? It's no longer televised. Uh, no, we won't get political this morning, but don't think that I'm scared to, because I will. But what we find, the battle of the mind is much like the war in Ukraine. It's never talked about. Nobody talks about the battles that they're fighting and facing in their mind. Nobody talks about it because what we've done is we've taken something in the concept that the world takes as mental health. And we've called it weakness if the church begins to talk about it. So because where the church was ignorant, the world took concepts out of the Bible and began to develop systems like yoga. Yoga. See, where the church was ignorant, where it was God's plan, the church was ignorant when it stepped up. Now we have what we call uh, you know, psychiatrists and nothing against them. But here's the reality of it is, 90% of them are taking things that are in this book and instituting it in their lessons and using the word of God without giving it credit. Yes. And so what we find... It's the battle that's untelevised is the battle of our mind. And there's people all in this room and you're sitting here and there is a war raging between your two ears right now. Some of the greatest battles we fight are, are right between our two ears. Can I tell you, though, that your elevation is directly connected to your meditation? Yes, it is. Catch that. Some of you want to go higher. Some of you want to do more. Some of you want to, you know, be, be, be more for God. But the truth of it is, is that your elevation is directly connected to your meditation. Oh, yeah, let's talk about meditation, too. Just so you know, meditation is not a word from Buddha, nor is it a word from yoga. It is a word out of the Bible. We're going to get there in a minute because, see, we've, we got so spiritual, we turned everything into prayer. But there is power in meditation. Hold on, hold on. Oh, my Yeah, I can feel it this morning. We're going to teach this thing. Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, what other things are good report. if there are any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on them. Meditate. What do you meditate on? Whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's praiseworthy, whatever's of good report. Meditate. 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 See the truth. Meditate is much like the word regurgitate. Meditation literally means to chew on something, it's a constant washing over. Listen to me the enemy is constantly bombarding your mind because you have not guarded the gate of your meditation. If you don't constantly meditate on the Word, if you constantly don't uh, allow the Word of God to wash over your mind and begin to renew it, you allow the thoughts of the enemy, the words of the enemy, the lies of the enemy to get in your head. And how are we defeated? We're defeated head first. Because the truth of it is, is what we find is that we are only as powerful as our uh, our thinking is. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to show you. It's the reason why we're called to repent. Watch. So how do we get the selfie that God created? Everyone say repent. Repent. John is on the banks of the Jordan River in Matthew chapter 3 and he's preaching a message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The last and final words of Jesus were not I love you, We're not like go and do, go into all the world. The last and final words of Jesus were repent. Repent. And now understand though, because there, there's a, there's a concept of repentance that is a little bit an error. Because repentance does mean a turning around. It's a 180. So if there is sin here, the word repentance means literally a 180 degree turn. And you, now that which was in front of you, you put behind you. You repent. But the word repent also means uh, it, it means the renewing uh, or changing the way you think. Change the way you think. So when, when John is, is coming on the banks of the Jordan, he tells him. he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's not just telling him turn from your sins. He's saying you got to change the way you think because if you don't change the way you think, you'll miss this kingdom. Amen. Thank you for that this morning. <laughs> Philippians 2.5, watch. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind... Be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you that this scripture is a clear indicator that we've lost our minds? Hold on, hold on, hold on. See, evidently the minds that we have are no good. Because if there was nothing wrong with my mind, I wouldn't be told to get a new one. let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The the church of Philippi is addressed because their thinking needs to change for God to be able to do what he's desiring to do among them. Listen to me, church. God wants to do something great, but it's going to start with the head first. We got to change the way we think. We can't come in here with a mentality of traditional church because if we do, we'll get a traditional God. But if we believe God is doing something new, then we got to say, God, I'm open. Whatever you're doing, don't do it without me. See, the level of our mindset is the, is the level of which we manage. You know, one of the, I believe one of the most powerful statements I've said since I got out of high school, and I've told Jamie this, I was like, I realize now if I wanted to, I could have been a doctor. Let me talk to you about the poverty mindset. I grew up in a house that was no more than 1,200 square feet, and there were six kids in it, eight, eight a mommy, daddy, six kids, 1,200 square feet. No no AC, no, well, heat, yeah, we had heat. It was firewood that we had on a, on a, on a uh, furnace. That was the way we heated it, and, and it was embarrassing because sometimes the flute wasn't adjusted, the smoke would fill the house, and I'd go to school smelling like I was out cooking s'mores all night. But see, there was a mindset because of what I came from that told me I'd never be more than the product of my environment. See, but when I came to the knowledge of Christ who makes all things new... See, now, now no longer was it a lineage of what I came from, but it was the power of what I was called to. And now I realize that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that there is nothing out of my reach. See, and there's a mindset that has to come to the people of God that we realize there is nothing too far out of our reach, that God can do anything and everything through our lives. All he needs is our surrendered obedience. It's a lot like this little boy that went fishing. I heard a story one time. He, he goes fishing, and, you know, he's out there. He's casting. And then all of a sudden, he hooks in. He's reeling this big bass in this old man. You know, this boy, little boy is only probably like 12 years old. He's reeling this fish in, reeling it in. He gets it to the bank. He picks it up. It's huge, 26-inch-long 26 long twenty six hog bass just full, you know, just solid. And the old man, he like hobbles over and he's like, oh my gosh, that's a big fish. And the little boy looks at him, takes the hook out. He's like, yeah. And the man's like, man, that'll be good eating. He said, phew, throws it back in. The old man's like, what are you doing? And the little boy looks at him. He's like, well, my frying pan's only nine inches. See, and I think a lot of times what happens in the church is God wants to give something so big that we throw it back because we only got a frying pan that's nine inches and rather than throwing back what God's sending, I'm going to throw the pan and say, God, give me a bucket, give me a wheelbarrow, give me whatever I need in this season. Change my mind. See, this is the way that a lot of us think that God is trying to give us God-sized dreams, God-sized ministry, God-sized marriages, God-sized influence, God-sized purpose, and we're throwing it back saying, God, my frying pan's only nine inches. I'm just a little girl from Darlington. You can't use me in the nations. I'm just a little boy raised in a depressed, broken home. God, you can't use me. God comes and we throw back everything he's sending to us because we discredit what God is able to do. But we got to come to the realization the concept of Ephesians 3:20 says now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask. I'm so glad that God works in spite of my mindset. I'm so glad that you may have lost your mind, but you ain't lost the favor of God. You may have lost your mind, but you ain't lost the grace of God. You may have lost your mind, but you haven't lost the ability to God to do it exceedingly abundantly, far more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. Perhaps you're saying, musicians, you can come on, I'm done. Perhaps you're saying, but I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't understand. It's hard to shake off the limits of my past. Preacher, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know I was molested at this age. You don't know I was raped. You don't know. Let me tell you again, entry points. You didn't go through what you went through because God hates you. You went through what you went through because the enemy knew that if he could get your power plant, if he could get your brain, if he could get you constantly thinking about the rape, if he could constantly get you thinking about the affair, if he could constantly get you thinking about the abortion, if he could constantly get you thinking about the, uh, about the bankruptcy, if he could constantly get you thinking about the diagnosis of cancer, he would bind you in that place. Stand with me all over the house. You say, but "Preacher, you don't understand. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my past. You don't know everything." Entry points. He's after your mind. He's after the way you think. Think of it this way: John ten ten. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But hear me. Think of it in a mental capacity. The devil wants to steal your hope. He wants to kill your dreams. He wants to destroy your potential. How does he manage to do all that? He gets your mind. He gets in your head and he begins to whisper lies, saying things like you're unqualified, you'll never be good enough but you did this yesterday and you think you can do this today. Why are you worshiping? Why are you, you know, there's people today, i I just feel this by the Spirit of God. You were worshiping, your hands were lifted, you could feel God moving and all of a sudden the enemy came in and he began to tell you, why are your hands lifted? You were doing this and last year you did this and if these people ever find out, they'll run you out of here for saying that and doing this. What was he after? He wasn't after your worship. He was after your mind. Because if he gets your mind, he gets everything that's connected to you. Remember, there was two trees in the Garden of Eden: the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can I tell you about a third tree? See, God had to plant another tree. I said, God had to plant another tree. Because the first two trees caused God to push you out of his presence. But this tree that he'd plant, it'd be a tree that whosoever will, they could run to it. It'd be this tree, no longer concealed in a garden, but placed high upon a hill. Matter of fact, this tree would be planted right in a place that they call the place of the skull, the place of death. It would be right smack dab in the middle of death that God would plant this next tree. This tree, it wasn't pretty. This tree was a tree that was acquainted with grief, sorrow, and shame. It was this tree that would cause many men to be despised and rejected. It would be this tree that when people looked on it, they would say, better him than me. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about this tree and it says in Leviticus that cursed is every man who hangs on this tree. Cursed is every man that hangs on this tree. But it would be this tree, the tree of Calvary, where God would send his only son, to stretch out his arms on its branches as a declaration that God loves you this much. And it would be there that he would be despised and rejected. It would be there that he would pour his blood out, that the fruit of this tree would be the salvation of our souls. And see, it's in this tree that what the first Adam screwed up, the second Adam restored. And so when the first Adam made me lose my mind, the second Adam gave me his. And as the crown of thorns was placed upon his head and the blood began to run down his skull, that blood, the Bible says, where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And where the blood was shed, around the, circ- the the circumference of his head, it was a prophetic declaration that God was renewing our mind by the blood of Jesus. As the blood washed down around his head, God was saying, I'm sending my blood to your thoughts. I'm sending my blood to your thinking. I'm sending my blood to your minds. And as the blood was uh, 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 put on his back with 39 lashings his, in his back, it was the blood that was saying, I'm going to allow you to turn your back on sin. I'm going to allow you to walk away from what's trying to kill you. It was the blood that was in his hand and he said you lay your hands to the plow and not look back it was the blood that was in his feet that when he walked and when he walked that we would walk in triumphant with him it was the blood the hematoma the bruising of his face as they beat him in his face that god said i'm not just sending healing to your bodies i'm sending healing to your spirit inner healing healing from the trauma, healing from the pain, healing from their past, healing from the divorce, healing from everything that you've been through, everything that's tried to get inside of you. Seven sheddings of blood that Christ would shed on that cross. And we find in this scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. But the last Adam Jesus became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is from the Lord, from he- or is, is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are, are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. How do we change our selfie? How do we change our selfie into the image that God has created us to? Let me tell you. There's one name and one name only that will begin to change your image and begin to change your mind. And it is the name of Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed that's here this morning, I felt really prompted to do this. There are people right now under the sound of my voice. Hear me, brother. Hear me, sister. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. I don't want anybody looking around. I want confidentiality and, 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 and just for the sake of God to move because God's about to do something incredible. You're here this morning. Listen, man. Listen, woman. It's just me and you. Me, you, and Jesus. And you're here this morning. You'd say, Preacher, I'm wrestling, man. I'm wrestling in my mind. I'm wrestling in my mind. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I put a smile on my face, but nobody knows the hurt that I have inside. I wrestle through suicide. I wrestle through depression. I'm taking pills to try to get over what I'm on. I, I've been going to doctor after doctor trying to figure out what's wrong with me, and I can't seem to get over I can't seem to get past my mind. Brother, and sister, listen to me. Let this mind that was in Christ so also be in you. Listen to me. You've got to get him in you to get that out of you. Every head bowed and every eye closed all over this room. If what I just said, you'd say, Preacher, that's me. Will you raise your hand? Just me, you and Jesus. Thank you. Hands all over this room. Thank you, Lord. Listen to me, church. God's going to deal with the way we think for not only what he's called us to corporately, but what he's calling us to individually. This Wednesday, I'll continue, and I'm going deeper. I'm going to teach you how to take every one of these thoughts captive. And we're going to walk through the men- mental mindset because God is getting each of us at a place where we need to be to go where he's called us to be because as a man thinks, so is he. And so we're addressing. We're addressing not what everybody sees. We're addressing what God sees. If you're here this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Preacher, I hear you. I hear this, Jesus. Jesus. And I want to accept him as Lord of my life. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? Come on, today's the day of salvation. Brother, don't hold out. Don't hold back. Slip that hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, hands up all over this room. You're putting it up and saying, this Jesus, I want to accept this Jesus. I want that power that you spoke of, preacher. I want my mind to be changed. I want my image to be changed. I want to look like him. Every head bowed and every eye closed, if you just raise your hand, For anything that I just talked about, whether it be salvation or the renewing and the changing of your mind, this is what I want to do. On the count of three, I need you to step out as boldly as you know how to step. And I want you to come out head first. As you begin to walk to this altar, you're making a prophetic declaration. God, change my mind. Renew my mind. Allow your word. Ready? One, two, three, come, come. As they come, celebrate. Here they come. Here they come. Here they come. Come up. Here they come. Here they come. Here they come. Here they come.